pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. to open the seals. Glory to God. He's getting ready to open them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and mercy and grace. Thank you for this time of fellowship, not only with one another, but also with you who is in the midst of us and also in the fellowship of your word. Hallelujah. So we thank you for the word that's about to come forth today, Lord. God, we ask you to make it clear to us. Give us revelation knowledge. Give us a rhema word today, God. God, I ask you to make the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. God, we, we come before you and we draw nigh unto you with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We know our hearts have been sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus, but now we're about to be washed in the water of the yes. word and, and make our bodies pure, Lord. Yes. Thank you for that, God. Creating us a new heart and a clean heart and renew a right spirit within yes. us, God. We thank you and we praise you as we come boldly before your throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God, let the eyes of the people be open. Let them hear with spiritual ears. God, let them receive with their hearts. And I thank you that I'll preach the word boldly with clarity and simplicity. And above all, it will be rightly divided. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Judah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we miss Miss Shannon, don't we? Huh? Young camera, brother. All right, come on up. Make, make it short and sweet. Go ahead, I'll be close to you. Talk in the you know, you know, 1980, pastor's talking about true love. 1980, October 1st, I was in the hospital with my ex-wife. She was dying. Because they gave her the wrong drug for seizures. I sat outside of her door with another lady named Charlotte Walker. We prayed that night and tears just poured from my eyes and God touched me that night. And ever since that night, I have served God and honor Him. And now I can say right now, I truly love Him with everything I got. I don't know what what it is, I think somebody in here needs this, or somebody out there might need it. But it's been on my heart, and so on. I came out and let everybody know. Thank you. All right, brother. You obeyed the Lord. That's what counts. Hallelujah. You see that floor jump up and trip me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter. 
We started out a few weeks ago looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And uh, I thought I would probably breathe, breathe through them. Thank you, Miss Laura. I thought I'd probably breeze through them in about two settings or two lessons. Well, this is the third lesson, and we're just getting ready to look at the second church in the book of Revelation. And the reason for that is, as I was studying, I'd come across things, and the Lord would, like, highlight it for me, and he'd say, I want you to camp out here for a minute. I want you to spend a few minutes on this passage of Scripture right here. And then I'd start researching it, and I'd go off on this little rabbit path, and before you know it, I had a teaching in the middle of a teaching. And I think that's good. I mean, we could just breeze right through the letters, but if uh, the Lord interrupts you and tells you to go in another direction, don't you think it would be a good idea to do that? Amen. So that's what I've been doing, and it's no different today. We're, we're only going to get through the letter, the second letter today. And maybe we'll do better in the weeks to come. Maybe we won't. Maybe the Lord will keep us on these different paths and stuff. But we can learn other things from it, right? But anyway, we're studying these seven letters to the seven churches. And uh, it's in the book of Revelation. And, the, and, and the, the book was named Revelation for a reason. It means that there's a revealing and unveiling. There's the making known of something that we previously didn't know. That's what Revelation means. And then in other places of the Bible, if you study it out, Revelation means enlightenment. It means a light. It means knowledge. You know, when you get a revelation, oh, a light came on. You just gained some more knowledge. So Revelation stands for a lot of things. And in the book of Revelation, the main thing that's being unveiled or revealed is Jesus in all of his glory. But it also reveals his future plans for the church, the world, and for all of eternity. So it's an interesting book. There's a lot of symbolism in it, and uh, people think it's confusing, but it's really not. I mean, the Bible interprets itself. So if you find a symbol, see where you can find it elsewhere in the, in the, in the, the Bible, and you'll get your meaning for that particular symbol because it holds true all the way through the Word. And then there's some things that are not yet time to be revealed. And God, if God doesn't want to reveal it till a certain time, you can study all you want, pray all you want. You're not going to get the revelation until it's time for it. Amen? And I think that almost the whole book of Revelation is revealed or being revealed. But there may be a couple things in there that the timing's not right yet. And so we just go over them and pass them up and when the time's right, God will reveal them to us. Amen? Amen? But did you know that the whole Bible is about revealing Jesus? Not just the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible reveals Jesus. It starts in Genesis and goes all the way through, through to the book of Revelation. And Jesus is revealed in one way or another in every book of the Bible. Amen? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. But on... Uh, one of the major revelations is when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And boy, a major revelation came, came forth then. And I'm not sure what stage of uh, Jesus' ministry he was in, but apparently it was time for that revelation to come out. It was time for Jesus to be revealed for who he was. And they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. 
They knew him as Messiah, Rabbi, Master, Son of Man, Son of God, and so on. But they didn't know him as Christ, the Anointed One, with his anointing. That's what Christ means. It means the Anointed One and his anointing. And so they didn't know him as Jesus the Christ. Nobody called him Jesus the Christ up to this point. But let's look at it because actually God the Father is the one that revealed that revelation uh, that Jesus, his son, was the Christ. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of things being revealed in this discourse that we're about to look at. And one of them is the church itself. There was no mention of the church. No church in the Old Testament. Jesus hadn't mentioned anything about a church. His disciples didn't know anything about a church. But in Matthew chapter 16, I know I told you to turn to Revelation. It might have been a little premature, but you can turn to Matthew or you can just follow along with me. I'll read it. Uh, in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? In other words, who do you say that I am? You know, every one of us has to answer that question at one time in our life. Who do you say he is? Because that's what really counts. Uh, your your salvation depends on who you say he is. Amen? And so he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, I don't know how quick he answered, how long it took him to answer. I don't know if any of the other disciples gave it a shot or they just remained quiet because they didn't know. But at one point, G, uh, Simon Peter jumps up and he says, thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. Now, that was a surprise to everybody. They didn't know him as the Christ. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of Jonah. That's what Barjona means. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, no man could have told you this because no man knew it. But my Father revealed it to you. What a blessing. Amen. When God takes time out of his busy schedule and talks to you and reveals something to you. That's a special time. And then he says in verse 18. And I say also unto thee. In other words, in addition to the revelation you just received from my Father, I say also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he just unveiled, revealed, made something known that was not known before, his plan to build his church. And they had no idea what a church even was, uh, let alone Jesus' plan to build it. So they, they just got knocked in the head with a big revelation here. And then Jesus says in verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's given them some tremendous authority here. And he's given them the keys to heaven. Keys open and close doors. In other words, he's saying, you can open a door and no man can close it, and you can close a door and no man can open it. That's a tremendous amount of power and authority, but he was giving them that authority over their lives. They can open and close doors in their life. And in a limited sense, they can open and close doors in other people's lives if they're responsible for those people, such as parents for their children and stuff like that. But anyway, in this passage of Scripture, he just revealed to his disciples who he really was and what his plan was to build his church. And the word church that Jesus used here came from a Greek word, ekklesia. And ekklesia means called out from among. In other words, he's referring to a body of believers whom God has given the honor and privilege of being called forth and separated unto him to assemble together for the purpose of building and furthering his kingdom. Amazing. So the first thing he revealed to them was that he was not just Jesus the Nazarene, but he was Jesus the Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. And not an anointed one, but the anointed one. And upon that revelation, he would build his church. Uh, upon the revelation that he is the Christ, he'll build his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? Peter? No. The rock of revelation that he was the Christ, the anointed one, that's the rock he'll build his church upon. And what a powerful revelation God revealed to Peter. I mean, many people believe that Jesus uh, said he was going to build his church on Peter because he called him a rock and then said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so it's all how you put the emphasis on different words, where you put the apostrophe, where you put the period, where you put the quotation marks, it changes the meaning of things. But if we believe that Christ would build his church on the foundation of a man, then we would be in grave error. And yet there's one religion that grew into a very large denomination, but they are in error. And although they built a very large church, it's built on the wrong foundation, and one day soon, it's going to crumble and fall. I like the way the Amplified explains verse 18. The Amplified says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And they use the Greek word petros, a piece of rock. And on this rock, the Greek word Petra is used, which is a huge rock like Gibraltar. In other words, he's saying, you are Peter, a little rock, but upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Two different words for rock, one meaning a stone, a pebble, 
a chip off the old block, and the other one meaning the rock, the foundation, a rock that's immovable like the rock of Gibraltar. He said, I'll build my church and the, and the gates of Hades, the powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. So Jesus identified Peter as Petros, a piece of rock. In other words, he was not the rock, but just a piece that was broken off of a much bigger rock. And think about it. Why would Jesus build his church on a piece of a rock when he could build it on a massive immovable rock like the rock of Gibraltar? Why would he build it on the back of man when he could build it on the revelation that he's the Christ and he's the foundation for his church? Jesus said, upon this rock, Petra, a huge immovable rock, I will build my church. And again, this rock is a revelation that Jesus is the Christ and the only foundation that can support the church that he's going to build. So the revelation that he is the Christ is the only foundation that we are to build upon. The Apostle Paul verified that in his letter to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, he says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said there is no other foundation. I mean, that's the proof of, uh, uh, they say the proof of the pudding is in the eating. There's the proof of it. He's the foundation. There is no other foundation, he said. But how did Paul lay the foundations for others to build upon? I didn't know about the church. I didn't know about a foundation until he told me about it and laid it for me. And now I can build upon that foundation. And I'll be building on the right foundation. Yes. Paul laid the foundation by preaching the gospel the same way Jesus laid the foundation. And declaring unto us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the only foundation for us to build upon. And if you're building on any other foundation, you're building on the wrong foundation. It's not going to last. So Jesus then revealed to his disciples his death on the cross. And the price that he would have to pay to purchase his own church. But his disciples weren't ready for that revelation either. At least Peter, the little rock, wasn't. When he, when he gave his disciples the revelation of the cross and how he was going to have to be crucified in order to become the foundation for his church, Peter, Petros, the little rock, rebuked Jesus, the big, immovable rock. And he said, not so, Lord. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus rebuked him right back and called him Satan. And he called him Satan for his carnal thinking. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So he was thinking carnally. 
He said, Lord, we're not going to let nobody kill you, especially crucifixion. See, Peter didn't have the revelation uh, that Christ was going to have to pay for that church, for his, for his church with his very life and shed his own blood for the church. Peter couldn't handle that revelation. And know, he's saying, Peter, you little rock. You just received the greatest revelation from God that man has ever received. And now you're thinking like carnal man. And carnal thinking will not only cause you to miss the things of God, but it will keep God from being able to reveal something to you that he wants to reveal. I can't reveal it to him yet because they're too immature. I can't reveal it to him yet because they're thinking carnal and they won't receive it. That's what Peter did. And boy, God, Jesus straightened him out in a hurry, didn't he? The little rock telling the big rock. What to do. <laughs> you little rocks don't tell the big rock what to do, do you? <laughs> the big rock will fall on you. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I wanted you to know that and understand that before we continue with our teaching on the seven letters of Revelation because there's so much being revealed here that God named this book Revelation, the revealing, the unveiling. But you can't approach it with a carnal mind. You have to take your carnal mind, like Pastor Ed said, and set it down next to you in the chair and listen with your spirit. Because if you, you, if you use your carnal mind, it's going to cause you to miss out on the things that God wants to reveal to you. And that's why Jesus keeps repeating throughout his letters to the churches, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In other words, we have to put on our spiritual ears and listen with our heart. Amen? And... Uh, in each of his seven letters to the churches, Jesus is revealing who he is because some of them weren't building on the foundation that they started out with. Now, Paul started a lot of these churches. There was other ministers and missionaries that started some of the churches, but the main churches, like we're talking about, Paul or John himself started most of them. And I know Paul laid the right foundation for them to build on. He preached the gospel. He told them who the Christ was and how to build on that foundation. But somehow they get off of that foundation and start building their own little foundation and building their own little kingdoms and their own little churches, and they get lost along the way. Hence the seven letters to the seven churches. This is 95 years after Jesus was crucified and uh, rose and went to heaven. So he had plenty of time to build, plenty of time to get in air and get off the right foundation and start building on the wrong. So he's kind of rebuilding his church and he wants to be sure that they're building on the right foundation again. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, he says to the angel, the messenger, the pastor, of the church in Smyrna. Now, you know, this word comes from a Greek word, angelos, and it can be translated a real angel. But he's not talking to a real angel out of heaven because 
Angels were not commissioned up to this point to preach the gospel to anybody. Amen? That was man's job. And so the angel he's talking about, the messenger, is the pastor of every church. So he says to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write. These are the words of him who was the first and the last. Remember, he identified himself like that in the, in the letter to the uh, church at Ephesus, the first letter we looked at. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And he also emphasized that he's everything in between as well. And then he says... These are the words of him who is the first and the last. And then he says, who died and came to life again. He says, I know your afflictions or your persecutions or your troubles and your poverty. And then he says, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Now, very briefly, the Jews had synagogues back then. That's where they met. That's where they supposedly shared the word and worshiped God. But he's saying here that they turned into synagogues of Satan because he don't even know them anymore. But anyway, then he says in verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I mean, they're going through persecution like no other church has ever been through persecution. And then he tells them, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. What are you talking about? That we, we suffered enough. Is there more to suffer? Yeah, I'm afraid so. He says, I tell you, the devil will put, up, put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. And then he says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I already know you're formulating opinions in, uh, of what this is saying here in your mind, but it, it's wrong because you're thinking carnally. He says, then the one who is victorious... Victorious in what? Holds out to the end, keeps the faith till the end. He says, the one who is victorious, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt at all by the second death. So Jesus wanted this persecuted church, this church is already being persecuted. He wanted them to know that he conquered death. And believe me, this church needed to hear that. They needed to know that because that's what they were facing. He says, I know your afflictions, your persecutions, and your poverty. And then he says something that seems strange. He said, yet you are rich. Well, you can't be poor and rich at the same time. you got to be either poor or rich. But how can he say that in the same sentence yet, that they are rich? The same sentence that he said, I know your poverty, he turns around and says, yet you are rich. Because one is physical, earthly wealth, and the other is spiritual wealth, which is what the Bible calls true riches. There's a difference between riches and true riches. In other words, they can take your job, take your house, take your car, your money, 
strip you of all your worldly riches, and even take your life. But they can't take your true riches. But what are true riches? What is he talking about? Well, the Lord led me to the parable of the unfaithful steward. Where Jesus warned him, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous riches, who will commit to your trust the true riches? That's in Luke chapter 16. And then again in Luke chapter 12, Jesus spoke to a rich farmer in another parable. And this farmer's land brought forth abundant crops. And he said to himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow all of my fruits. So he decided to build new and bigger barns to store all his fruits. And he said to himself again, man, I have enough riches to last me for many years. So I'm just going to lay back and take it easy. So here he is trusting in his earthly riches. But God said to him, you fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. In other words, you're going to die tonight. And then God said, who shall all those riches go to now? And then he said, this is what happens to someone who lays up treasure for himself on earth, but is not rich towards God. In other words, this man had no true riches. He was not rich in God. He did not have true riches because he kept all his riches to himself instead of laying some of them up in heaven. And someone might wonder, how can you lay up treasures in heaven? How can you lay up riches in heaven? Or well, remember when the man asked himself, what shall I do with all my goods? Well, maybe he should have asked God what he should have did with all of his goods. I mean, God is the one who made all his goods possible to begin with, right? Well, how about this? The first thing he should have did was pay a tithe on it. And this would ensure that the devourer was rebuked and it would guarantee him future crops. But he didn't do that. It would guarantee him that heaven's windows would remain open over his head and God would continue to pour out blessings. And then he should have blessed others with his abundance by giving some to the poor, feeding the hungry and less fortunate. But he was greedy. And he decided rather than do that, he would build bigger barns to store all of his goods for the future. But he didn't realize he was counting on a future that didn't belong to him. And that decision cost him his life. And now all the things he worked so hard for became someone else's stuff. So go ahead, stuff those safe deposit boxes. They're not safe anyway. Rent those storage sheds. And when they get full, rent bigger ones. Store it up. Don't sell your excess and pay a tithe on it. Don't help someone who's less fortunate. Save it for an uncertain future. And when you leave this world, and you will, you can leave it all behind for someone who isn't going to appreciate it anyway. See, they were lacking true riches. 
But what are the true riches that Christ is referring to? I just did a word search on riches. I found riches in glory, the riches of eternal life, the riches of wisdom and knowledge, the riches of grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the riches of his kindness towards us, the riches of his love towards us, the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering towards us, the riches of the full assurance of understanding, mercy, redemption, righteousness. These are just some of the true riches. You can do a search on it yourself. You, you will exhaust yourself at the true riches that he's talking about. And you know what? You can't buy one of them. All the earthly treasures on earth couldn't buy one of them. Again, how do you get these true riches? By storing up in heaven. And, it, and it's not just talking about money and material things. Anytime you do something for the kingdom of God... Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done it for one of these, the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Anytime you do anything to enhance or further the kingdom of God, you're laying up riches in heaven. That's the only way you can get them. Do something for God. Give a tithe, give an offering, and a portion of that goes to heaven and is stored in your true riches treasure chest. And when you need it, these things that you did for others, when you show love to someone else, when you laid your hands on somebody and God healed them, when you put your hand on the shoulder and gave them a word of encouragement, all of these things are laid up in heaven for you. And when you need them, you can draw from that heavenly account. Yes. You'll have them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now here's the thing. That pastor, all he's worried about is money. Money, money, money. But you know what? You can have both, but you can only choose one. That's right. Now put your thinking caps on a minute. You can have both, but you can only choose one. In other words, if you choose earthly riches over true riches, then that's all you will ever have. And that's just going to turn into rust and corrupt, and you're going to go on to heaven, hopefully, without it. Amen? But if you choose true riches over earthly riches, then you can have both. Amen. Say lot. Think about it. Say lot means put that in your pipe and smoke. This is one of those side journeys I was telling you about. Are you learning anything? Amen. In Luke chapter 18, a rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is the big daddy of all true riches. Eternal life is a true rich riches that you can't buy. And Jesus told him, he says, obey the commandments. Well, if you ask Jesus that same question today, he'd tell you, get born again. So the rich young man replies, man, I've done this ever since I was a kid. Now you'd think Jesus would have told them, well, great then. You'll be okay. Go your way. Be of good cheer. But he didn't. Jesus detected something in this young man that wasn't right. He had a wrong heart. And so Jesus tells him, oh, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he said, then come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, it made him very sad, the Bible says. And he refused to do it. Why? Because he chose his earthly riches over true riches. He, he chose his riches over Jesus. But if he would have did what Jesus told him to do, then he would have had both. Because just based on the law of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, he would have he would have got back a hundredfold of what he gave. So he could have had both. But because he went his earthly, he chose his earthly treasures, his earthly riches, he went his way with his earthly riches that will one day run out and an uncertain future. And, and if he would have if he would have did what Jesus said and followed Jesus, he would have had a certain future. He would have had riches beyond his wildest dreams. He would have had both, but he chose earthly riches. He didn't lay up anything in heaven. So what is it that you choose over true riches? Because that's what I'm concerned about. You know, this story, this is it's already happened. I hope that young man got saved one day and he's in heaven, but if not, you know where else he could be. But what about you? What are the choose what are the riches that you're choosing? What is it that you're willing to compromise over? Uh, like I said Wednesday night, what's your thing? You're wanting to keep your thing or that over this true riches? You can really have both if you prioritize them right. But you know, it's a shame that people give up all of this, all of the kingdom of God, all the true riches of God for that. That's not going to last anyway. That, that they're going to lose someday anyway. Because that ain't laid up in heaven. All of this is. And I'm telling you, and I did it years ago, and I'd do it again if I had to. I'd give up that for this anytime. Hallelujah. Back to Revelation. Jesus told the church at Smyrna in verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. I can stand on my head for 10 days. That ain't no big deal to me. And then he says, be faithful even to the point of death. In other words, be faithful all the way up till they kill you for your faith for me. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now Smyrna is the persecuted church. They're already living in affliction and poverty. And Jesus reveals himself to this church as the first and the last, the one who was dead but is now alive. He's proven that there's a second life, there's eternal life. So Smyrna was one of the most evil, wicked, darkest cities in Asia Minor, in the known world for that matter. And the book of Acts shows us very clearly that Smyrna, Smyrna was a city where Christians met with intense opposition from not only the Gentiles and the heathens, but more so from their Jewish brethren. 
religion. Religion hates Christianity. Because religion is a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations where Christianity is a personal relationship with Christ. They couldn't stand that. The gospel was often assaulted by militant Jewish segments who were so enraged by the message of Jesus Christ that they attempted to sabotage anything positive that came from it. And at times they turned entire cities against the Christians. They stirred up trouble. You can see it in the book of Acts. Everywhere Paul went, the devil and, the, and mostly through the Jewish religious leaders would stir up trouble for Paul. And that trouble got him beat and shipwrecked and thrown in prison and persecuted and everything else. And that's what they're doing here on a major scale to the church at Smyrna. And it, it resulted in a lot of arrest and persecution by the Roman government. Thousands of Christians are being killed for their faith, burned at the stake, torn apart by wild beasts in the Roman Colosseums as sport. They're forced to live and hide in catacombs. That's underground cemeteries. That's where they lived. That's where they had church, was in underground cemeteries. But that never stopped them from having church. All that persecution never stopped them from meeting and having church. They would secretly hold services underground by candlelight amongst the graves. That's real dedication and commitment. We don't know what persecution is in this country. But that's real love for the Lord. Nowadays we have comfortable, well-lit, climate-controlled buildings with coffee shops and we can't get people to come to church can you imagine if you were living back in that time would you have made it would you have stayed faithful to the end I don't know that would be really rough that's how it's going to be in the tribulation you don't want to go into the tribulation it's going to be exactly like this and in spite of all that they were already going through, Jesus said the persecution wasn't over. He told them that they would suffer 10 days. That's future tense. Would suffer 10 more days. And I did a little research. I looked at the commentators and stuff like that. And uh, Josephus, which is one of the historical writers, and I think this was in reference to ten waves of persecution that would happen over the next couple of hundred years. Jesus was talking not only at that time, but future tense. He said, you're going to see persecution like you've never seen for about the next 200 years. It's going to come in waves with the different uh, rulers and governors and emperors and, uh, that come into power. They're each going to have a new way of persecuting the church. So that was from about 100 A.D. to about 300 A.D. Terrible persecution for Christians. The hatred and the persecution was so bad that over 6 million Christians were martyred, died for their faith. And I think that's why Jesus wanted them to know that he also suffered persecution and was eventually put to death himself, but he also wanted them to know that he rose from the dead. And this was the promise that he was making them. Stay faithful to the end. And I'll give you eternal life. 
Hallelujah. But did you know that more Christians were killed for their faith in the 20th century than all those previous centuries put together? More than the 6 million. Countless numbers. There's a website, I think it's called persecution.com. Go check it out. Unbelievable things there. See, we don't, we don't see that in this country to that degree, but it's happening all over the world. Every third world country, they're killing Christians by the thousands. Right today, this morning, it's happening. And they're doing it because of their faith. And they're doing it because the devil stirs up trouble everywhere the gospel is preached. And we don't see it in this country because of something that's called a Bill of Rights and the First and Second Amendments. That's why you don't see it in this country. We have the First Amendment, which is freedom of religion, and we have the Second Amendment, the right to carry and bear arms to protect the First Amendment. And that's why we can never let them take those rights away from us, because they will walk all over us if we do. I know Pastor S watching on Facebook right now. I'll try to behave, Pastor Ed, but there's a certain party in this land that's been attacking those rights vigorously for a number of years now, and that's why we can never allow them to be taken from us. The devil would like nothing more because then we'd be like these third world countries where he's running rampant and persecuting Christians to their very death. Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Anybody in here with ears this morning? He says, the one who is victorious or the one who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He tells them, listen to what the Spirit is saying. He says, the one who keeps the faith to the very end, even in the face of death, will not be hurt by the second death. And the second death is the one that sends you to hell. That's the one that we all have to be concerned about. If you're born again, and I trust that everybody in here and within the sound of my voice is born again. But if you're not, you could suffer the second death. That's the one that sends you to hell. But if you're born again, you don't have to worry about the second death. Jesus suffered that death for you. Jesus offered this church in Smyrna commendation and encouragement. That's what every pastor of every Christian church tries to do every Sunday morning and Wednesday night or Thursday night, whatever their midweek service is. They try to offer comment, not condemnation, commendation and encouragement. Why? Because they know what you're going through. And these believers had endured unrelenting suffering and yet remained steadfast in their faith. They weren't saved one day and lost the next, up one day, down the next. They maintained their testimony. They kept the faith. Paul said, I kept the faith. I fought the good fight of faith. He says, I kept the faith. I, I made it to the end. This is what he was talking about. A lot of people don't make it to the end. 
The Bible says, Matthew, Jesus said, He that endures till the end, he shall be saved. So are we saved? Yes, we're saved, but we're saved being saved. Because you're not saved until you see Jesus face to face. Because anything can happen from now to that point. You have to have a made up mind that you're going to keep the faith. You're going you're to keep the faith no matter what comes at you. So he acknowledged their patience. I mean, patience through the severe persecution and the abject poverty that they were in. And he declared the believers in the church of Smyrna to be truly rich. That's the rich that counts. And you know, uh, what made them so poor? Well, once they got born again, the heathen employer that he worked for didn't want him in his workplace spreading that Jesus poison. So they got fired. They got laid off. They got persecuted. They go in the store and they say, you're not welcome here. That would happen in this country if we didn't stand up and fight for our rights. They tried it a couple years ago. Did you ever hear of passes? I can't even mention the names, but you had to have a pass to eat in a restaurant. It happened to me and Pastor Ed and Mike in Chicago, they told us we weren't welcome in that restaurant because we didn't have the passport thing. Oh, it would be, if, if, if men and women of God didn't stand up against that, it would be like that right now. Papers, please. Let me see your papers. Uh, moving right along, Pastor Ed. <laughs> But what's unique about this letter is that Jesus did not chastise or rebuke this church like the others. He didn't say, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. He didn't say that. He sympathized with them. He knew what they were suffering. Why? Because he suffered. He knew what death was like because he died. So he didn't rebuke him. He didn't chastise him. He didn't bring correction to him. He brought condemnation, com, commendation, and he brought encouragement and tried to lift them up and strengthen them for what they were about to face. Yes. He identified with their sufferings and, and then described the difficulties that they would suffer in the future all for his name's sake. He says, I commend you for that. For holding out in the face of adversity, in abject poverty. I mean, they're literally starving. This is what we're going to see. This is what they're. <laughs> this is what a certain party has been working towards. Shortages, hyperinflation, harder and harder to make a living, harder and harder to afford the basic necessities of life. Why? So you would look to the government for your help rather than look to God. I'm telling you, before I take a government check, I'd starve to death. Amen. And don't think Social Security is the government check. I earned that. Yes. My employer and myself paid for that all my working life. That is not a benefit. It's an entitlement. It's my money. 
And if it was an entitlement, if it was a benefit, I wouldn't take it. I'd live in the woods and hunt down my food. I'd run it down and bite it before I took a government check. Amen. I'm really going to quit now, Pastor. <laughs> but above all, Jesus assured those believers in Smyrna that they would not be touched by the second death. He says, you are going to suffer persecution and you are going to suffer death, but be of good cheer. I was dead and now I'm alive. And I'll do the same for you if you hold out, if you endure till the end. I'll give you the crown of life. And this crown, I looked it up, it wasn't a gold crown with you. It was a crown made of olive branches or something like that. It was the same type of crown they gave to a victorious runner that just run a race or something. But he called it a crown of life. And that's what we're doing. We're running this race for a crown of life. Amen? Amen. And, and Jesus has a crown of life for us if we just stay faithful to the end. If we keep faithful to his name and his cause. And continue to build the church that his church upon the foundation that he laid will be will not be subject to the second death we'll have a crown of life hallelujah, hallelujah. isn't that wonderful yeah. god is so good hallelujah yeah. even in the, the face of persecution uh, he said in there i know i know he knows what you're going through yeah. he knows what you're suffering he knows every tear you ever cried he knows every hurt that's ever stabbed your heart. Yeah. He knows every wrong that was ever done to you. He knows. He's been through it himself. He can sympathize with you. He can comfort you and commend you and encourage you. Keep running. Keep running. There's a crown waiting for you. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We love you so much, Lord. Yes. We love you because you can identify with your people, with your church. You've been through everything that we've been through and you were victorious and you making us victorious. We can go through anything that comes our way. We can, yes. we can sustain, we can be sustained in the, the furnace of affliction. We can be sustained in the fire. Just like the song, uh, you're standing next to me in that fire, God. There's a fourth man in the fire, and we're standing with you. Like I said Wednesday night, I'd rather be with him in the furnace than be standing on the outside without him. Hallelujah. So we thank you and we praise you, God, that when we go into the furnace of affliction and persecution, you're in there with us. Hallelujah. Holding us up and encouraging us and getting us through it. God, we will one day stand right in front of you and you'll hand us a crown of life. The victor's crown. Hallelujah. All because we stay faithful to what you've done for us. We thank you and praise you so much for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, we pray. We pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.